Welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast for Friday, December 17th. I am your host, Kevin McDonald, executive producer here at New Mexico PBS. We appreciate you joining us as always, and I'm sure you joined us this week with most of the state in following the legislative special session, which tackled a couple huge issues. The first one being redistricting and uh, voting on the maps that were approved by the newly formed Citizen Redistricting Committee. There's been a ton of drama around this. Uh, They just wrapped up their work, the House and the Senate, earlier today, as a matter of fact, with a lot of the wrangling coming around a new state Senate map. And we will be following this a lot in the new year, and especially as we get into the midterm elections next year when people will be voting in districts that they are probably not used to in a lot of situations. And so the question remains, did this new process work? Is there more work to be done? So we wanted to ask that question and more of a line opinion panel this week. Joining us, former state Senator Dee Dee Feldman. You know she has some thoughts on this as well as the experience there in the legislature. Also with us, line regular Laura Sanchez and Merritt Allen of Vox Optima PR. So good group to talk about this. And we should mention, as Merritt does here in her uh, conversation as well, but Vox Optima does have a contract to handle some of the, the PR work for the Citizen Redistricting Committee. But the work done in the legislature was really that of the lawmakers. And so lots to get into. We did tape this uh, yesterday. And so a lot of things were still in flux, but a lot of these questions still remain and are still valid. So here now, host Gene Grant and The Line. Joining us this week, former New Mexico State Senator and author Dee Dee Feldman. We're also joined by attorney and line regular Laura Sanchez and line regular Merritt Allen of Vox Optima Public Relations. Thank you all for being with us today. Lawmakers are in the midst of this process as we tape this show. Bearing that in mind, there are still some major sticking points at play. At the top of the list, Native American representation. Indigenous leaders were deeply involved in that independent process that preceded this special uh, legislative session, but It seems that input has largely been ignored, at least in terms of redrawing state Senate districts. Tribal leaders expressed their disapproval in a letter to members of the Senate, and now the question is, will they listen? Dee Dee Feldman, first question right there to you. Are they going to listen? It looks to me from uh, watching the uh, Senate session last night, which was cut short by a call of the Senate. Mm -hmm. Meaning Wednesday night, sorry um, about that. Mm -hmm. That the... um, the senator who introduced the original redistricting plan, uh, Senator Linda Lopez, mm-hmm. uh, has uh, actually now um, got a substitute bill that will accommodate the Native American consensus, mm-hmm. uh, which was worked on for uh, for months and. Uh, it you know it's it's almost an Im- impossible task to get 23 sovereign nations spread out all over the state mm-hmm. uh, to come up with an agreement on how these district lines should be drawn. They finally did, but it was um, it was uh, substituted in the rules committee uh, by uh, by the uh, Senate uh, Senate uh, President Pro Tem 
who um, was trying to avoid a pairing of two Republican senators. Mm -hmm. And uh, that uh, that bill that her substitute passed the Senate Judiciary Committee, which is when the Native American uh, delegation walked out and mm -hmm. said that you, they hadn't been consulted, as is required by state law, by the way. Right. And um, so now, though, I think after several days of negotiations, they um, the Native American uh, consensus has been honored and was about to be introduced there uh, when a call of the Senate uh, prevented it. Mm -hmm. Tell the folks, by the way, what the call of the Senate is. So we get a lot of folks that move into the area. They don't know yeah, all of our little... The call of the Senate <laughs> is a procedural move that is usually used by the minority, although it can be used by anyone, really, mm -hmm. if they get seven other senators to agree with them. That requires everyone uh, who has not been excused uh, uh, to be present mm -hmm. in the chambers uh, and voting. Uh, during a call of the Senate. Mm -hmm. So it used to be used quite a bit, but it hasn't been used uh, that much. Uh, it was called for by Senator Craig Brandt uh, from Rio Rancho, mm -hmm. uh, who, uh, who recognized that the, um, the pairing uh, would, in the substitute bill, um, continue in force That's because... Right. Um, uh, that was what the uh, the previous uh, the previous judiciary substitute uh, was trying to undo. Mm -hmm. So you know it's back to square one, really. And I think this afternoon, when it's on the on the floor, you can expect a very heated debate about um, about how senators don't respect one another. Oh boy. And, um, you know, That's are willing trouble to starts. stab one another in the back That's and right. their words are no good, etc. Mm -hmm. Redistricting brings out the worst in, uh, in most uh, legislators, I think. That's right. And by the time we air Friday night, who knows what might have happened on Friday, even still uh, beyond Thursday night. Uh, merit, rural, another sticking point, rural representation, certainly. The congressional map, we can kind of flip to another uh, sticking point here. The congressional map that passed the state house would split chunks of Albuquerque into each of the three congressional districts in the state, begging the question, will any of these three representatives either prioritize rural issues when the majority of their voters, you know, lives in the largest city in the state? I mean, that's a tricky balancing act, it seems to me. How's that supposed to work out? Well, I think it unlikely that that map will ever see the light of day because mm -hmm. um, there, um, make no mistake, there will be lawsuits. Um, uh, it, was, uh, it was a bad map. Um, and right. in interest of um, full disclosure, my firm uh, was retained to do uh, public and community outreach for the CRC. Mm -hmm. And the map that passed was uh, an even more mangled version of the People's Map. The People's Map was developed by a partisan group, the Center for Civic Policy, um, and uh, was designed to get rid of Congresswoman Harrell. And because many people uh, spoke in favor of that map at a Las Cruces public meeting, the CRC felt compelled to submit it for consideration. I see. Not with an endorsement, but uh, because part of the charter of the CRC was to take public input. And many, many people spoke in favor of it. And it was um, uh, uh, certainly uh, Senator Cervantes 
uh, Democrat from Las Cruces was a proponent uh, of that map. Mm-hmm. It is um, it, it's it's an inane map. And uh, one person who was expressed did express concern about the map was the CD3 Congresswoman, uh, Congresswoman Alega Fernandez, um, who uh, perhaps thought uh, Clovis Portalis and Hobbes might not be real receptive to um, her brand of politics. Mm-hmm. And then the Democratic caucus didn't even have the guts to gerrymander in open session and did it in secret caucus and made a few adjustments that resulted in splitting Roswell into three different congressional districts. Right. Absolutely, absolutely inane. And when you consider that the state Democratic Party platform calls for independent redistricting free from any legislative intervention. Mm-hmm. It shows that, and then you look at the John Lewis Voting Rights Act um, that is um, uh, being uh, put forward in Congress by uh, congressional Democrats. Mm-hmm. It shows that uh, those ideals are certainly not shared by the New Mexico Democratic Caucus, at least while one one elected Republican remains in office. Mm-hmm. Uh, just uh, it's a betrayal of the voters of New Mexico. Uh, voters should um, be represented by their population and communities of interest. And this just shows that legislators continue to want to pick their voters to stay in office and stay in power. Laura Sanchez, um, is there a legit argument for splitting Albuquerque into three congressional districts? <laughs> really? Right. <You're> <laughs> Not a loaded question at all, Haji. Oh, no. Um, look, I mean, I, I, you know, it makes me think of way back when I, when I was a baby, baby, uh, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was very young in politics, very idealistic, and, um, you know, just thought the best of everybody back then. Now I'm just much more cynical and older. But um, I worked for a senator, I mean, sorry, a congressman in, in Arizona, and he was the only Democrat congressman that Arizona had at the time. Um, longtime congressman, and he represented both the South, both South Tucson and South Phoenix somehow. And it was like, of course, wow. we have the only <laughs> Democrat because he represents the hood in Tucson and the hood in Phoenix. And so, you know, there had been a gerrymandering of the Democrat district. He also had all the way out to Yuma and and basically the, the much of the county of Pima, Pima mm-hmm. County in Arizona, which is a huge area and very, very different issues in all of that. Um, and, and it was just like, how do you possibly campaign in a district like this? Um, and, and, you know, but anyway. Is it, is it possible for a rural legislator or coming out of a rural part of this, one of these new districts to come up to Albuquerque, stump, be a great campaigner and actually pull something off? Is, is that, is that a, no, a possibility? I mean, look, I think, I think we have some amazing, you know, I'm going to be the first one to say we have some amazing rural legislators. Sure. I, I live in Albuquerque. I live on the west side. I live in an urban area. Um, but I am a, a rural girl at heart. I'm from Deming. And so I think that there are some amazing people mm-hmm. who really, um, you know, connect with the fabric of, of real people that can make a, a difference regardless of where they're from. Mm-hmm. But I do think that there are issues um, in Albuquerque, in the South Valley, in the North Valley, in the Heights, that are very different than some of the rural areas of New Mexico. And mm-hmm. when we start to split up places like Roswell, um, which also has its own, you know, north versus south, That's east right. versus west kind of mm-hmm. um, issues going on within the city of Roswell. We start to split those up and you're really you're starting to get into the, the ridiculousness that is our uh, redistricting process because you've got 
you know, a lot, an arbitrary line down the middle where neighbors are now split into different districts That's right. and you're not able to come together and lobby on the same issue or, you know, bring attention to the same issue because now you've got different, you know, different representatives with different concerns and they're going to be appealing to where most of the votes are at, during a campaign, during the campaign season, right? That's mm-hmm. that thing, 50 mm-hmm. plus one. Wherever most of the votes are, that's where they're going to go. That's right. And that's a big problem. I mean, I think that that, that this whole process and both Didi and, uh, I'm sorry, Senator, both Senator Feldman and uh, and Merritt, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm getting my, let me, my response. Let me jump in a quick sec here. Let me get to Didi here because we're just getting a little short on time. Didi, interestingly, we have the governor, of course, uh, in, in this. She could end up, obviously, kicking all these things back and veto the final maps, and that could mean involving the courts again, drawing out this process further. How do you see this playing out? And is the decision by the governor more politically dangerous than the other if she goes one way or the other? Well, I think that she has only a limited period of time to veto this mm-hmm. uh, because she has to veto. It's already been sent up to her. This is the congressional map we're right. talking about. And uh, it's already been set up to her maybe two or three days ago. Uh, and she would have to veto it before the uh, before the session adjourned. So um, it's, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I think it's doubtful that she will veto this. Um, I do want to take an f- exception to a few things uh, mm-hmm. that were said earlier, and that was that this that the congressional map is patterned very closely on one of the maps that the Citizen Redistricting uh, Commission forwarded. Uh, it did not endorse. The idea that it is that it did not endorse it uh, is is doesn't make any difference because it didn't endorse any map. Uh, it sent up three maps for each of the uh, each of the districts or for each of the positions, mm-hmm. uh, the Congress, the Senate and the House. Uh, so um, it, it this was one of the maps. And if it didn't endorse it, it would not have sent it up. Uh, so, yes, there was public support for it. I don't think that's a great sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, um, look at the districts as they exist now. Um, and if you look at the third district uh, in uh, the north, um, that already includes Clovis. Uh, that already is an urban rural district that includes Farmington and uh, Gallup and Santa Fe. And, uh, and so there is a mixture there. It can be done. Uh, it's not uh, absolutely out of the question. Mm-hmm. And, and to Laura's point, One of the things that I found in the North Valley uh, was, as as she alluded to, a lot of the people who live here in the valley area of Albuquerque, where did their parents come from? That's right. Where did their families come from? They came from northern New Mexico or they came from Torreon or they Mm -hmm. came from, uh, you know, from the Cuba area, as my next door neighbors did. And so, you know, I think there is there is some validity to the idea that um, it is important to begin to uh, breach this rural urban uh, gap that I, we see is so seriously affecting our national politics I hear you. as well as Got to run, run on this one. I apologize, Didi. Thank you all for your perspectives on this. Now, let's get a different viewpoint. Correspondent Gwyneth Dolan spoke with two outside voices, hoping to have an impact on the final outcome.
And again, this is just one of those weeks where our taping schedule didn't really align perfectly with the news. But uh, again, the, the issues around redistricting still very valid moving forward. No doubt we'll be hearing about it for the next 10 years until we do this all again. Of course, there's also still the chance of a court challenge to all of this. We do know that today, Friday, the governor signed the uh, congressional maps, the U.S. congressional maps of first uh, Congressional District 1, 2, and 3 in the House of Representatives here in New Mexico. Some pretty big changes there. We encourage you to go to a website or look in the show description here and uh, find out what that new map looks like. Uh, the website, of course, is newmexicoandfocus.org. All of that's there for you. And uh, But one of the big sticking points in all this, especially with that controversial Senate map, had to do with Native representation pretty historic in the work leading up to this with the Citizen Redistricting Committee that all of the state's tribes, pueblos, and uh, indigenous sovereign nations came together on a consensus map. And that was very much in jeopardy. Uh, As it turns out, it ended up largely getting passed as was, but there was a moment in time, a lot of the week really, where that didn't seem to be the case and that that was going to be the outcome. And so our correspondent, Gwyneth Dolan, talked to a representative from the All Pueblo Council of Governors about that consensus plan and reaction to how the lawmakers took the Citizen Redistricting Committee suggestions. Also joined by Kathleen Burke of Fair Districts for New Mexico Advocacy Group looking for transparency and bipartisanship in redistricting process. And so really important conversation. Want to dive right into it. Here's correspondent Gwyneth Doland. Joining us this week, former New Mexico State Senator and author Dee Dee Feldman. We're also joined by attorney and line regular Laura Sanchez and line regular Merritt Allen of Vox Optima Public Relations. Thank you all for being with us today. Lawmakers are in the midst of this process as we tape this show. Bearing that in mind, there are still some major sticking points at play. At the top of the list, Native American representation. Indigenous leaders were deeply involved in that independent process that preceded this special uh, legislative session, but it seems that input has largely been ignored, at least in terms of redrawing state Senate districts. Tribal leaders expressed their disapproval in a letter to members of the Senate, and now the question is, will they listen? Dee Dee Feldman, first question right there to you. Are they gonna listen? It looks to me from uh, watching the uh, Senate session last night, which was cut short by a call of the Senate. Mm-hmm. Meaning Wednesday that, night, sorry um, about that. Mm-hmm. That the, um, the senator who introduced the original redistricting plan, uh, Senator Linda Lopez, mm-hmm. uh, has uh, actually now um, got a substitute bill that will accommodate the Native American consensus, mm-hmm. uh, which was worked on for uh, for months, and uh, it you know it's it's almost an Im- impossible task to get 23 sovereign nations spread out all over the state mm-hmm. uh, to come up with an agreement on how these district lines should be drawn. They finally did, but it was. Um, it was uh, substituted in the rules committee uh, by uh, by the uh, Senate uh, Senate uh, President Pro Tem, who um, was trying to avoid a pairing of two Republican senators, mm-hmm. and uh, that uh, 
that bill that her substitute passed the Senate Judiciary Committee, which is when the Native American uh, delegation walked out and mm -hmm. said that you, they hadn't been consulted, as is required by state law, by the way. Right. And um, so now, though, I think after several days of negotiations, they um, the Native American uh, consensus has been honored and was about to be introduced there uh, when a call of the Senate uh, prevented it. Mm -hmm. Tell the folks, by the way, what the call of the Senate is. So we get a lot of folks that move into the area. They don't know yeah, all of our little... The call of the Senate mm -hmm. is a procedural move that is usually used by the minority, although it can be used by anyone, really, mm -hmm. if they get seven other senators to agree with them. That requires everyone uh, who has not been excused uh, of, to be present mm -hmm. in the chambers uh, and voting uh, during a call of the Senate. Mm -hmm. So it used to be used quite a bit, but it hasn't been used uh, that much. Uh, it was called for by Senator Craig Brandt uh, from Rio Rancho, mm -hmm. uh, who, uh, who recognized that the, um, the pairing uh, would in the substitute bill um, continue in force That's because right. um, uh, that was what the uh, the previous uh, the previous judiciary substitute uh, was trying to undo. Mm -hmm. So you know it's back to square one, really. And I think this afternoon, when it's on the on the floor, you can expect a very heated debate about um, about how senators don't respect one another. Oh boy. And, um, you know, That's are willing trouble to starts. grab one another in the back That's and right. their words are no good, etc. cetera. Mm -hmm. Redistricting brings out the worst in, uh, in most uh, legislators, I think. That's right. And by the time we air Friday night, who knows what might have happened on Friday, even still uh, beyond Thursday night. Uh, merit, rural, another sticking point, rural representation, certainly. The congressional map, we can kind of flip to another uh, sticking point here. The congressional map that passed the state house would split chunks of Albuquerque into each of the three congressional districts in the state, begging the question, will any of these three representatives either prioritize rural issues when the majority of their voters, you know, lives in the largest city in the state? I mean, that's a tricky balancing act, it seems to me. How's that supposed to work out? Well, I think it's unlikely that that map will ever see the light of day because mm -hmm. um, there, um, make no mistake, there will be lawsuits. Um, uh, it, was, uh, it was a bad map. Um, and right. interest of um, full disclosure, my firm uh, was retained to do uh, public and community outreach for the CRC. Mm -hmm. And the map that passed was uh, an even more mangled version of the People's Map. The People's Map was developed by a partisan group, the Center for Civic Policy, um, and uh, was designed to get rid of Congresswoman Harrell. And because many people uh, spoke in favor of that map at a Las Cruces public meeting, the CRC felt compelled to submit it for consideration. I see. Not with an endorsement, but uh, because part of the charter of the CRC was to take public input. And many, many people spoke in favor of it. And it was um, uh, uh, certainly uh, Senator Cervantes, uh, Democrat from Las Cruces, was a proponent uh, of that map. Mm -hmm. It is, um, it, it's, it's an inane map. 
And uh, one person who was expressed, did express concern about the map was the CD3 Congresswoman, uh, Congresswoman Alega Fernandez, um, who uh, perhaps thought uh, Clovis Portalis and Hobbes might not be real receptive to um, her brand of politics. Mm-hmm. And then the Democratic caucus didn't even have the guts to gerrymander in open session and did it in secret caucus and made a few adjustments that resulted in splitting Roswell into three different congressional districts. Right. Absolutely, absolutely inane. And when you consider that the state Democratic Party platform calls for independent redistricting free from any legislative intervention. Mm -hmm. It shows that, and then you look at the John Lewis Voting Rights Act um, that is um, uh, being uh, put forward in Congress by uh, congressional Democrats. Mm -hmm. It shows that uh, those ideals are certainly not shared by the New Mexico Democratic Caucus, at least while one one elected Republican remains in office. Mm-hmm. Uh, just uh, it's a betrayal of the voters of New Mexico. Uh, voters should um, be represented by their population and communities of interest. And this just shows that legislators continue to want to pick their voters to stay in office and stay in power. Laura Sanchez, um, is there a legit argument for splitting Albuquerque into three congressional districts? <laughs> really? Right. You're ask that question? <laughs> Not a loaded question at all, Haji. Oh, no. Um, look, I mean, I, I, you know, it makes me think of way back when I, when I was a baby, baby, uh, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was very young in politics, very idealistic, and, um, you know, just thought the best of everybody back then. Now I'm just much more cynical and older. But um, I worked for a senator, I mean, sorry, a congressman in, in Arizona, and he was the only Democrat congressman that Arizona had at the time. Um, longtime congressman, and he represented both the South, both South Tucson and South Phoenix somehow. And it was like, of course, wow. we have the only <laughs> Democrat because he represents the hood in Tucson and the hood in Phoenix. And so, you know, there had been a gerrymandering of the Democrat district. He also had all the way out to Yuma and and basically the, the much of the county of Pima, Pima mm-hmm. County in Arizona, which is a huge area and very, very different issues in all of that. Um, and, and it was just like, how do you possibly campaign in a district like this? Um, and, and, you know, but anyway. Is it, is it possible for a rural legislator or coming out of a rural part of this, one of these new districts to come up to Albuquerque, stump, be a great campaigner and actually pull something off? Is, is that, is that a, no, a possibility? I mean, look, I think, mm-hmm. I think we have some amazing, you know, I'm going to be the first one to say we have some amazing rural legislators. Sure. I, I live in Albuquerque. I live on the west side. I live in an urban area. Um, but I am a, a rural girl at heart. I'm from Deming. And so I think that there are some amazing people mm-hmm. who really, um, you know, connect with the fabric of, of real people that can make a, a difference regardless of where they're from. Mm-hmm. But I do think that there are issues um, in Albuquerque, in the South Valley, in the North Valley, in the Heights, that are very different than some of the rural areas of New Mexico. And mm-hmm. when we start to split up places like Roswell, um, which also has its own, you know, north versus south, That's east right. versus west kind of mm-hmm. um, issues going on within the city of Roswell. We start to split those up and you're really you're starting to get into the, the ridiculousness that is our uh, redistricting process because you've got, you know, a lot, an arbitrary line down the middle where neighbors are now split into different districts. That's right. And you're not yeah. able to come together and lobby on the same issue or, you know, bring attention to the same issue because now you've got different, you know, different representatives 
with different concerns and they're going to be appealing to where most of the votes are at, during a campaign during the campaign season right that's mm -hmm. that thing 50 mm -hmm. plus one wherever most of the votes are that's where they're going to go that's right and that's a problem i mean i think that 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 this whole process and both dd and uh, i'm sorry senator both senator feldman and uh, and merritt i I'm getting my let me, my response. Let me jump in a quick sec here. Let me get to Dee Dee here because we're just getting a little short on time. Dee Dee, interestingly, we have the governor, of course, uh, in, in this. She could end up obviously kicking all these things back and veto the final maps, and that could mean involving the courts again, drawing out this process further. How do you see this playing out? And is the decision by the governor more politically dangerous than the other if she goes one way or the other? <clears throat> well, I think that she has only a limited period of time to veto this mm -hmm. uh, because she has to veto. It's already been sent up to her. This is the congressional map we're right. talking about. And uh, it's already been sent up to her maybe two or three days ago. Uh, and she would have to veto it before the, uh, before the session adjourned. So um, it's, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I think it's doubtful that she will veto this. Um, I do want to take an exception to a few things uh, mm -hmm. that were said earlier, and that was that this that the congressional map is patterned very closely on one of the maps that the Citizen Redistricting uh, Commission forwarded. Uh, it did not endorse. The idea that it is that it did not endorse it uh, is is doesn't make any difference because it didn't endorse any map. Uh, it sent up three maps for each of the uh, each of the districts or for each of the positions, mm -hmm. uh, the Congress, the Senate and the House. Uh, so um, it, it this was one of the maps. And if it didn't endorse it, it would not have sent it up. Uh, so, yes, there was public support for it. I don't think that's a great sin. Mm -hmm. uh, secondly, um, look at the districts as they exist now. Um, and if you look at the third district uh, in uh, the north, um, that already includes Clovis. Uh, that already is an urban rural district that includes Farmington and uh, Gallup and Santa Fe. And, uh, and so there is a mixture there. It can be done. Uh, it's not uh, absolutely out of the question. Mm -hmm. and, and to Laura's point, I, one of the things that I found in the North Valley uh, was, as, as she alluded to, a lot of the people who live here in the valley area of Albuquerque, where did their parents come from? That's right. Where did their families come from? They came from northern New Mexico or they came from Torreon or they mm -hmm. came from, uh, you know, from the Cuba area, as my next door neighbors did. And so, you know, I think there is there is some validity to the idea that um, it is important to begin to uh, breach this rural urban uh, gap that I, we see is so seriously affecting our national politics I hear you. as well as Got to run Got to run on this one. I apologize, Didi. Thank you all for your perspectives on this. Now, let's get a different viewpoint. Correspondent Gwyneth Dolan spoke with two outside voices, hoping to have an impact on the final outcome. So I mentioned it earlier, but the question that remains is, do we need to do more work to reform redistricting? The Citizens Redistricting, redistricting Committee was the first attempt 
to reform the process. And so um, in this web extra that we didn't have time for in the show, want to bring it to you here. Gwyneth asked Kathleen Burke what the plans were moving forward. And not surprisingly to some, we will likely see a constitutional amendment in the coming years. So a body like the Citizen Redistricting Committee or Commission could make the final vote on maps. That was a contention when the CRC was created. Uh, It initially had the ability to do this as a fully independent body, but there were constitutional challenges for that. So in the end, they just made recommendations that, as we see, lawmakers tweaked. So we will probably see that in the coming years. What that would mean uh, is what we're going to find out now as we head back to Gwyneth Doland. To the buddy mandering. Kathleen, in the big report that I wrote for New Mexico in depth about redistricting, a lot of people mentioned over and over and over, Republicans and Democrats, that it's an incumbent protection plan the way that they do this redistricting. That's still happening. Transparency is better, but it's still a problem. Political horse trading still happening, um, still taking precedence over na- neighborhoods, communities of interest. Is Fair Districts New Mexico going to push for more reform? And what could that look like? We, we are pushing for more reform. I, and um, it, it will most likely look like a constitutional amendment, uh, uh, an attempt at a constitutional amendment. If not 2022, then 2023. Um, that's in the works now. Um, we even have legislators, some of the ones who are doing the backroom deals, the horse trading, et cetera, are are the ones who are also saying, look, I wanna propose this legislation. It's interesting that even in the committees, sometimes you'll hear legislators pop up and say, you know, they, it's kind of throwing the hands in the air and saying, we just need an independent redistricting committee or commission there. You know, we've heard that this, this session. They're stuck so, in this situation and they know it's dysfunctional. Yes, yes. And with so many of them um, being attorneys, they also know what they can and can't do and and how far they can push this in their favor legally without getting in 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 deep trouble with the courts so but back to your question yes it's moving forward it 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 will most likely be a constitutional amendment if again not 22 23 and um this is not uh this is not a new process by any means it would be uh for redistricting it would be new in new mexico but we know how to do this the league of women voters fair districts we know what's involved we're laying that out, um, and we expect good results from that. We certainly have a lot of good sound bites from the sitting legislators on how we need one now. The other big business for the legislature in the special session was fixing a loophole, a problem with a medical malpractice law. Uh, that was pretty contentious. Republicans uh, lined up to uh, voice frustration Uh, Over this, they said it was pushed through during the legislature last year with known problems, and here they are having to fix this, or we would have huge problems in the state, but they were able to do that. And then the spending of COVID federal relief funds. Remember now, the state Supreme Court ruled that the governor, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham, did not have the authority to unilaterally spend those funds as she was trying to do. And so now lawmakers had to weigh in on that, and they can do some more in the regular session, which starts next month. But there was a lot on that. 
And uh, this all boils into the infrastructure bill, too. So there was debate about a new hospital in Valencia County. There was back and forth about whether now the legislature, after uh, some of them, some members challenged the governor's authority, were rushing through the process. So a lot to digest here as well. And the line panel does a great job, as always. So let's send it right back to them and host Gene Grant. The other agenda item for legislators during this special session is deciding how to spend more than a billion dollars in federal COVID relief funding. A lot of areas and, and projects that need some financial help. In your eyes, Senator Feldman, what should the priority be for lawmakers with this kind of money? <clears throat> well, they were asked to do an awful lot in a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's what they're struggling with. What, what is the priority here? Is it uh, actually a, a, a crisis, uh, addressing crises, right. um, or is it producing something that's rather transformational mm -hmm. um, and, and long over, overlooked? And so, you know, they have, I think, opted for uh, some crisis to crisis things, some infrastructure things, broadband, roads, um, mm -hmm. But I think I, I, for one, am very disappointed that they did not focus more on public health um, and mm -hmm. prevention mm -hmm. rather than um, building a new hospital. There is in this uh, in this uh, uh, budget here a funds for a hospital in Valencia County. And we need hospitals. Don't get me wrong. I, I hear Merritt when she talks about Gila Regional and how, uh, how strapped they are. But, um, you know, uh, a, a hospital is different than having uh, a program and a plan to address the chronic diseases, the uh, disparities that have made the pandemic so much worse in New Mexico than it should have been uh, based on our population. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that's, that's one of my regrets. Right. Um, Laura, bringing these two stories together, part of the debate in the roundhouse over spending of this COVID relief dollars centers around a potential new hospital that Didi mentioned in Valencia County. It passed by a 65 to 1 vote. Interesting point there. Um, supporters say it's long overdue. Detractors say there aren't enough people. It's less about 100,000 in the county, if I'm not mistaken. Is this a worthy effort for the money, 50 million? Um, yeah. <laughs> So it's hard for me to say that, that whether that's worthy 50 million. I mean, yeah. I think that's probably on par with other the cost of other similar facilities. But, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a big proponent of making sure that you match um, sort of the source of your funding and, and the duration of your funding with your um, expenditures. Right. So you don't want to you don't want to use short term funding for a long term effort that you're going to have to figure out how to fund continuously. And th these are short term dollars. And so, you know, it's really important. I think I think um, Senator Feldman hit it, hit the nail on the head when she said that you know, she's disappointed. And I, I think we all shook our heads. Yes. When she said right. this, mm -hmm. disappointed about the lack of funding for health care. Mm -hmm. There is so much need out there right now. Um, a facility is important. Yes. But that's probably something that you should put into the regular course of funding as you go. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you're going to have continuous need. There's educational, an educational component to that. You need to make sure it's staffed. You have to be able to have, I mean, there's just a whole lot of things that are necessary, but you also need a lot of short-term spending to make sure we get this pandemic under control. And that should have been dispersed, I think, across 
other parts of the state. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's one area that they could definitely have prioritized a little bit better. I do think that there probably was some pressure to get something done in terms of the economy and getting people back to work. So infrastructure is always sort of a, an opportunity for that because you do end up spending short-term dollars or, or in the short-term you're spending money um, and there's construction jobs. And so there's, there's a bump to the economy that way. Um, but I just think that there should have been more discussion about how to address the current crisis that we're still in. There's too many people who think that that's that we're sort of out of the clear, and right. I don't think we are. Well said there. And Merritt, you know, as of, to follow up on that, as of Wednesday's update from the health department, 666 people are hospitalized with COVID-19. Significant spike over the last month and a half here. Now the state reported its first case of the highly transmissible Omicron variant that's here now. Is this going to make people rethink their holiday plans or just how we do our regular thing? What, what's the upshot here in your view? Well, um, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly uh, uh, concerned about that. Um, and I, I think uh, agreeing uh, with uh, both my fellow panelists, uh, public health has to be a concern. And I think our schools, um, greater measures in our schools, I've been kind of shocked to learn. I have two close relatives who uh, work in public schools. Um, we do not have um, significant uh, or sufficient uh, daily cleaning in our classrooms. Wow. Um, I, I grew up when the schools were mopped every day. Right. That is not the case anymore. Teachers have a broom and a dustpan, and they're expected to do that themselves. And then they have some wipes that they bring from home. Mm -hmm. That's that's not okay. Um, also, um, ensuring that schools are kept at the proper temperature. Um, I have a relative who works uh, at an APS middle school, and she's constantly uh, blowing out circuits, plugging in space heaters, just trying to keep her classroom at 68 degrees. Mm. That's not okay for little kids. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I think we've got to look at just some basic things uh, to keep our children healthy because uh, they get sick, they bring it home, they reduce our immune systems. So yeah, there are so many public uh, public health concerns as we gear up for uh, uh, Omicron, which appears to be milder, appears to be more uh, vaccine resistant. Maybe the virus is morphing itself into a common cold. Mm -hmm. um, uh, things point to the fact that coronavirus is going to be like the flu. It's going to be go from uh, pande a pandemic to uh, epidemic and it's just going to be with us. So we are going to have to learn to live with us. And going back to the hospital building a hospital is great how are we going to staff it right. that's why the icus closed the tila regional because they don't have the staff for mm -hmm. it um our nursing programs uh in new mexico are waitlisted because we don't have the capacity so where we're we've seen articles we're relying on traveling nurses yep. so where are we going to staff a new hospital that's a legit point lots to think about there uh Didi, you know I w I'm sure the folks up there, your old colleagues would say, look, it's, it's not that hard to do everything. We can do all the above. We don't have to do just one thing, then the next thing, then the next thing. Because there's so much money out there, it almost seems like they're doubling up. You get the National Infrastructure Bill money and the state Senate voted to spend a half a billion on available infrastructure. Is there anything wrong with that? Just kind of taking it all on at once? Well, um... <clears throat> I think that when it comes to broadband, for mm -hmm. example, I think that, you know, you have to have the capability of um, 
of of putting it into practice you know it's it, you and i think that the department the it department came and said we can't handle all this money mm-hmm. uh they said that to mm-hmm. the to the senate finance committee and so and so there was a was a cutback there mm-hmm. but uh it's it's interesting because this money uh that is being appropriated will largely be administered by state departments um, and um, that, of course, was the subject of the lawsuit between the legislature and the governor. That's right. The legislature wanted the power to appropriate this. And OK, now they got the power to appropriate this. And it's going to be actually the governor's secretaries that are figuring out uh, how it's how where the rubber meets the road with these funds. Now, fortunately, um, there, there's uh, there's still time and there's still uh, the bulk of this federal money to appropriate. That's right. And that will be done during the regular session. I think there's over seven hundred million dollars mm-hmm. that the legislature still has to appropriate. Mm-hmm. So that'll that'll happen later. Laura, real quick, uh, got about just under a minute. Your sense of where Didi just left off and how things are going to look in the legislature going forward again with this kind of money on the table. You know, people make interesting decisions. Right. I mean, I think we've, you know, we've got this current special session that I'm sure everybody's getting tired of already, given competing, um, Mm -hmm. you know, personal need to get the holidays rolling and all of that stuff. But after the break, once they come back for the regular session, I think it's going to be important for folks to um, to to really sort of, you know, clear the minds of where they've been and think about what makes the most sense going forward. So that's a time to really consider, you know, the governor's agenda. There's been this unfortunate, you know, uh, fight between the legislature and the governor, but the governor's in charge. This is a special session. I'm sorry, this is a regular budget session. Mm-hmm. She's going to have a call. Um, and so they're really going to have an opportunity to think about what makes sense with regard to what's on that agenda and and how they're going to um, make appropriate decisions going forward. Mm-hmm. So I really hope that people sort of clear their minds and have a chance to connect with family come back refreshed and ready to really do the people's work nice. starting in January. Good stuff there. COVID-19 will remain a, a top issue heading into 2022. Find out where it ranks in our countdown of the top 10 stories of 2021 during our end of year shows as we round out December here on New Mexico In Focus. It is the holiday season and we want to end our podcast this week on an uplifting note. Uh, we know that this is the time of year where One of the big traditions for many families is sharing family recipes, baking all those goodies, enjoying those together. And we uh, had the opportunity, the great opportunity, to catch up with an indigenous baker, Liz Howdy of Howdy Cakes here in Albuquerque. She is Navajo, and she uh, invited Antonia Gonzalez, our correspondent, into her kitchen. They made some peppermint bark and talked about how cake and baking is a form of expression for Liz Howdy and how her culture plays into that. Uh, One of the things that really stands out to me is where she talks about how other members of the community told her she is a form of a healer because uh, food is love, food is a gift, and just a great perspective on all this. I know we all feel that during this time of the year as we share those family favorites with one another just a terrific story. Thank you to Antonia for setting this all up and for Liz Howdy for sharing her thoughts with us as well as that peppermint bark with our crew. 
And if you want to uh, take in more of this, we encourage you to give it a watch on our um, website, newmexicoandfocus.org, or you can find it on any of our social media channels, talking Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, anywhere you find New Mexico and Focus content. So here now, Antonia Gonzalez and Liz Howdy. The holidays just aren't the same without those great family traditions, and many times those traditions are centered around food. This week, we introduce you to Navajo baker Liz Howdy, who runs Howdy Cakes here in Albuquerque. She talks with correspondent Antonia Gonzalez about how baking feeds her passion and how her culture fuels her inspiration. What I like to do with Howdy Cakes is do kind of like small weekend sales, like little four-inch shareable cakes, you know, that people can just have. Because cake it is a big commitment. So like if you're just craving cake, you don't want to get like one of those big grocery store sheet things. Just a little like snacky guy. Um, I like to cut it asymmetrically because that's just peppermint bark. Um, and then I also do a lot of custom cakes, which has been super duper fun, where, you know, like a lot of my clients give me free range to kind of do, like put my own twist and style on things. Where does your creativity come from when it comes to drawing from your indigenous culture? Indigenous people are just super creative entities in their own. You know, just from like straight up cuisine, uh, and then like Dene, like there's silversmithing, jewelry making, basket weaving, woodworking, uh, painting, sand painting, and um, it's just being able to tap into your perception of the world in a, a unique way that I think I've you know like really appreciated. Um, from my culture. Can you just pick up a little bit about the advice maybe you would give to other people who are interested in getting into cooking, baking, and turning it into a profession? I feel like you just can't be afraid of making some mistakes. Um, you know, you know what you love, and if, you know, you feed people and they tell you, that you know it's it's really good or they it give you great feedback yeah, that's yeah. you know then that's kind of what what fuels it um i i have my grandpa's a doctor okay, so my dad is a doctor and when i uh i met this elder you know after i i made this like community meal you know she knew this about me right. and she told me that um that you know i in a way that you know, like I'm, I'm a third generation healer even though i'm not a doctor because you like you know food is medicine and you know if you feel that strongly about it uh then you should just go for it but here we go we're getting a nice melty texture and but what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna add our peppermint flavor because the white chocolate is where it is at. And you'll be able to tell when it's incorporated when you can't see those oily pepper or extract waves in it. You know, it's <laughs> holiday season and a lot of people definitely um, 
indulge during the holidays, but where do you find that balance? I really pride myself in doing, um, is being able to offer gluten-free and vegan options for people or people who uh, are pre-diabetic, you know, they can't have a, like super sugar-fueled um, uh, diet and just being able to navigate freely between um, all of these restrictions I think has been very important to me. Um, you know, to just not offer up like all this sugar, but then also like it, it's just got to taste good. And sometimes like, self-care is just like indulging your sweet tooth. So yeah, I love peppermint so much. Ugh. Just go ahead and sprinkle and make it the peppermint bark we all know and love. Oh, yeah, there's some leaves, some snowflakes, and then I'm going to come and clutch with these guys. This looks great. Oh, man, it's so pretty. Oh, I love it when desserts just look cute. It somehow makes it taste better. And what are some of the comments or response you get, either something... Um, you know, someone you've commissioned for someone or even just, you know, posting your social media pictures. What are, what are some of the responses and input that you get? Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, positive feedback, but I think with, you know, a lot of decorators and artists in general, there's always this, you know, this feeling of like, oh, stop it now. Like you're, you are your harshest critic. Like, um, but you know, it, it, it's my favorite thing to present someone with their commission um, and just have their face light up and just, you know, just be blown away by um, whatever expectations they had. And I really like surpassing them. <laughs>
for you next Friday. So tune in for that. Of course, go back and listen to any of our past episodes and leave us a review if you would. It really does help out a bunch. Until next time, we thank you for listening, for downloading, for streaming, and stay safe, stay healthy.